law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers. Everybody say comers. That's the people. You've got to come to the Lord. Amen. He's there. He's available. But we have to come to him. Amen. Makes the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrifices. Okay. But he said that those sacrifices could not make the people that came to him perfect. All right. He said if it would have, they wouldn't cease to have been offered. They wouldn't cease doing the offerings. Because that the worshipers, everybody say worshipers, that's also us as we come to the Lord, once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Now this is the great thing about it is that God cleans up our conscience and gives you a clear conscience. Do you know how many people are tormented by their consciences of things that they've done in the past, of things that they've done wrong? God can give you a clean, clear conscience. Now, we're human. We'll always remember things that we've done in our past that we should not have done. But it's God's intention that we forget those things that are behind us and reach forward to what he has for us. Amen. That's the beauty of the power of God in our lives. He cleans up our conscience. But in those sacrifices, there's always this remember. In those old sacrifices, every year there was a remembrance of, the, of their sins. Because once a year, the high priest would go in and make an offering for the whole nation of Israel. And so every year, they were once again reminded of their sins. For it is, in verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. All right? <clears throat> And so skip down to verse 16, and this is the kind of the main key verse that I've been using. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. Everybody say heart. Right here. And in their mind will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Think about that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And he forgives us of our sins. We are deserving not just to go to the cross ourselves. We're deserving to die out, right? We're deserving to die because of what we've done and the sins that we've committed. But he says, I'm going to put my law in their heart and I'm not going to remember their sins and iniquities anymore. Verse 18, now where the remission of these is, there's no more offering for sins. In other words, that's why you didn't bring a lamb here this morning to offer it upon this altar. Because of Jesus Christ, all right? He says we don't have the offering anymore. Having therefore, brethren, in verse 19, it says having boldness, that's confidence, to enter into the holiest. The Old Testament tabernacle plan, they went in into the tabernacle and they had what they called the holiest of holies and it was behind the veil. That's where the high priest went in every year to the mercy seat, right? Offer up the blood, sprinkle the blood from the altar, all right? Jesus is saying, I took care of all that for you. I've done that for you. 
You don't have to have a high priest go before God. Hallelujah. He said, you can come now with boldness. Hallelujah. To enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Well, I mean, we, if, we're, if you're not careful, you either get used to this or you miss the fact that we can come before Almighty God ourselves. Amen? Now, he's the most powerful, important person in the universe, is he not? He is God Almighty. And there are certain people, <clears throat> I was dealing with a used automobile uh, dealership uh, last week, and I was trying to get an audience with the owner, okay? I wanted to talk to the owner about this situation that I had. I couldn't get access to him. Everybody, the secretary covered for him, and the uh, other used car salesman, he covered for him. He's not in. He's not here. What can I help for you? You're not helping me. You're not getting me where I need to go. I need to talk. But that was hard. And that's just a little guy on the used car lot, right? The owner. Or how about the president of the United States? For me and you to try to get audience with the president of the United States, that would be an, like an impossibility. Right? We're not going to do it. But God Almighty, oh hallelujah, he said come boldly into that throne room. Jesus died, he said it's finished. He died on the cross. The, the Bible says the veil in that temple was rent in two, signifying that we can all now come boldly, hallelujah, into the presence of God. I want to stress the fact that we are so privileged to be able to come to God, hallelujah, with our petitions. It's a new and a living way which he hath concentrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, which is Christ Jesus. Amen. In verse 22 is what I've been focusing on. And he says, so we have this great opportunity to come in, okay? But this is the stipulation, he says, let us draw near with a true heart. He wants you to have a true heart. Come all you want. Bring your petitions. But have a true heart. Full assurance of faith. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. We talked about that. He'll clean up your conscience. Our conscience is our moral awareness. Not only can he clean it for us. But he can give us moral awareness. Where am I at in my life, in my walk with God? Amen? Hebrews chapter 4, 16 tells us, Let us come boldly with confidence into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen? God is so good to us. His mercy is everlasting. Hallelujah. His mercy is everlasting. We can come to Him it doesn't give us a license to sin. But if we sin, the Bible says, we have an advocate to the Father, the man, Christ Jesus. It's what he did for us that gives us the ability to come before God. And God is beckoning unto us. He wants us to come to him. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 11. It says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. 
Skip down to verse 14. This is Paul speaking. For this cause I bow my knees. And we're going to talk a little bit. We've been talking about hypocrisy as kind of a theme throughout this. Paul's talking about bowing his knees, going to prayer. I want to talk a little bit on prayer this morning. But he says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to his glory to be strengthened. He will strengthen us. He will help us. He will, he's not going to cut your head off when you come to him with a true heart. Amen. He wants to strengthen us and he does it by his spirit. Folks, that's why you have to have the Holy Ghost. People say, do I have to have the Holy Spirit? Do I have to speak in tongues? Well, they spoke in tongues when they received it in the New Testament church, right? Yes, you've got to have the Holy Ghost. How else do you get God in you? Hallelujah. How else can he do this? It's by his spirit that he strengthens the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. And I always just am dumbfounded by the fact that God wants to dwell in this earthen vessel. Think about it. We fail him all the time, don't we? we you, as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have the battle. Every morning, and I think I talked about this last time, but every morning when you wake up, sin's right, right, right there. The enemy's waiting right there. Amen? He's waiting right there. You've got to get up and you've got to start your day with God. Hallelujah. And carry him with you for the remainder of the day because it's only through God and through his spirit that we're able to receive the strength in the inner man. He wants to dwell in our hearts. Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend. This is the awareness. He wants us to become aware of what we're doing. Amen. Not just going through the motions. Comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. If you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And how that Jesus came to them. And he just lamb-blasted their whole organization, religious organization, or whatever you want to call it. He tore it to pieces. And he just called them hypocrites. And he says, you know, you're doing everything wrong. You know, you don't have, you're not, you don't, he gave them the beatitudes, you know. You're not hungry. You're not thirsting after righteousness. You're, you're not going through the motions. You're not praying right. You're not fasting right. He says, you're not doing anything right, even when it comes to living. He says, you're, you're worried about things. You're not doing things that are right. And he just comes in with this powerful force. But he wants us to be able to comprehend. And the only way that we can do that is allow this new law that he writes us in our hearts and in our minds. He puts this new law in our heart and in our mind. In other words, you've got to think about this. You've got to come to grips with it in your life. Amen? And to know the love of Christ, which passes all understanding, we can't even comprehend it, the love of Christ, that you may be filled with all the fullness of, of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Hallelujah. It's not determined by anything else but what we have within us. You can live for God. Hallelujah. You can have a pure heart. Hallelujah. It's the power. He can do anything exceeding abundantly. You know, we use that in, in uh, thinking that he's going to answer our prayers, right? He'll do this for me. And 
if I pray hard enough, I can get a pink Cadillac or something like that. You know that. But if you read it in the context of this scripture, he's saying that this new heart, this new life, this new thing to be able to comprehend, I'm able to exceedingly, abundantly come within you and do the work in your life for you to live for him. But it's according to the power that works within us. Amen. So we have this great invitation to come into this present with the stipulation of having this true heart, this moral awareness. Amen. That's all God desires. And it just means to become aware. And the Old Testament series of rituals that they had been going through, they were going through the motions. They were just following the law of the letter, the letter of the law, if you will. And Jesus said there's so much more to this. The Pharisees were very religious. They were very, they did things, boom, 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 religiously. But he says it's not about your actions on the outside. It's more important about what's on the heart, on the inside. He says, you know, you get the heart right and you automatically do the right things on the outside. He says, you just put up the facade that you're doing all the right things on the outside, but inside your heart's pure. You're a hypocrite. You're not coming to me with a true heart. That's pretty hard, isn't it? It's the word. That's what he's saying. And so we asked, and <clears throat> you know, in some of the studies before, where are you in your walk with God? You've got to ask yourself these questions. Where am I at in my walk with God? How am I doing? You know, it was the question that God asked Abraham, you know, or Adam, where are you after Adam had fallen? Where are you? Well, where was Adam? He was hiding from God. But God was in the same place. He had showed up again to commune with him. <clears throat> and he said, he asked him, why are you hiding? What is the reason that you're hiding from God? So this morning we have to ask ourselves these questions. You know, am I hiding? And why? Where are you in your walk with God? <clears throat> That's trying to get a true heart in the presence of God. You've got to ask yourself. And we talked about last week that being a hypocrite is either pretending to be what you're not or hiding what you really are. Two things in the hip hypocrisy. Either pretending to be something you're not or hiding something that you really are. And we talked about how that you have to face the music. You've got to come and face the music. You've got to own up to your life. Take responsibility for your actions. Take responsibility for your soul. Don't just go through the motions. Amen. <clears throat> and we talked also last week about leaven. And the main thing about leaven was that a little bit of it affects the whole picture. You can't have, you got to get it out. You can't just have a little bit. Of something that you're hiding. You've got to get it out. Hallelujah. You've got to be true with God. In Luke chapter 12 he said. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Which is hypocrisy he said. It's, it's being hypocrites. For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. And this is what we have to remind ourselves. Everything's going to be revealed someday. Neither hidden that shall not be known. There's nothing hid from God. That's where the deception comes in. You deceive yourself. 
if you think you're hiding sin, you're hiding an evil heart, you're not hiding it from God. You can get by with everybody else, but God knows. And he said, there's nothing covered. You think you got it covered up, but it's going to be revealed, folks. One of these days, he said, you think you got it hidden, but it's going to be known. And you think that you're whispering over here in the darkness. He said, you're telling these things over here. You think that, you nope, don't tell anybody this, but blah, blah, blah. He said, it's going to be spoken on the housetops. Amen. He said, nothing. You can't. <clears throat> he said, that which is spoken in the ear and closet is going to be proclaimed upon the housetops. That's the word of God. You got to remember that. You got to understand. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 23, verse 30, uh, 23 and 24. He said, I am a God at hand. Oh, hallelujah. In other words, he's on, he's on the spot. Our God is a God on hand. He said, I'm not, not a God afar off. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. He is here. He's with us. He's everywhere you go. Amen. No matter where you are. I remember a little story I heard about a boy and he's pulling his wagon up the hill, you know, and he's getting all upset and huffing and puffing and runs across this preacher man and the man says, why are you so upset? And he says, well, I'm, I'm trying to get this uh, wagon up the hill. And the, and the preacher guy says, well, you know, you need to be calm and not get so angry and say bad things and stuff. And the little boy says, well, I'm just trying to get this wagon up the hill. And he says, well, don't you know that God's in front of you? And he said, no, I didn't know that. He said, don't you know that God's beside you? And he says, no. And he said, don't you know that God's in your wagon? And he says, really? Could you ask him to get out? Because I'm trying to get my wagon up the hill. But God is everywhere. He fills. He said, I fill heaven and earth. He's there. He's beside you. He's there in the secrets when you're all alone. Amen. They say integrity is who you are when nobody else is watching. That's true integrity. When you do the right thing, when nobody else is watching. Amen. He said, I fill the heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Praise God. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? This is something that we have to come to the understanding of in our life and in our walk with God. God's with us all the time. I can remember when I was dating Sister Richie and every day. Every time when I left the front porch, when I'd pick her up at her house and left the front porch, her mom would always say this, remember, God's got an all-seeing eye. <laughs> she, just know, she just knew how to ruin a nice evening, you know. I was always just like, okay, well, I was like, <laughs> so that's what she always told me. And I'm glad she did. It was a constant reminder that, yes, God's with us at all times. Amen. So as we look into Matthew chapter 6, as part of this Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 5, he says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. I'm glad he said when, and if you, instead of not if you pray, right? So we know we have to pray. When you pray, all right? It's not a question of if, or uh, it's a question of when you pray. But he says... When you pray, don't be as the hypocrites are. And remember, the hypocrite, he's what? The actor on the stage. In the Greek, that's what it means. He's, a, he's an actor. He puts on the mask and he plays another person. That's a hypocrite when we are playing something that we are not. 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of st- seat, <coughs> excuse me, corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. They want to be seen. All right. Verily I say unto you, they have your, their reward. So if you're doing things to be seen of men, playing the hypocrite, he said, and people come up, applaud you, and say, congratulations, man, you you are just such you know such an inspiration. He said. If that's all you're looking for, that's your reward. But really, God's got such a greater reward for us. If our heart is right, if our heart is true, amen? And so I also want to just insert this. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying standing in the synagogue, in the church, all right? Uh, Peter and John went up to the church at the hour of prayer, right? He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? So we know that. It's not about necessarily standing in a certain place and praying, it's what is your motive in all of that? Are you, I, you know, we need to pray so that we're not just seen of men, but I want to be heard of God when I pray. Amen? Don't you? We don't want to just be seen, we want to be heard of God. And so he says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. So coming together and praying uh, collectively is not the wrong thing, but it is if you've come for the wrong motive. If you only come to church when you know pastor's going to be here, you're coming to church for the wrong motive. <laughs> or when bishop's not going to be here, you don't come to Bible study. That's why we don't tell you that he's not going to be here. You know, when the <clears throat> But he says, but thou, in verse 6, when thou prayest, enter into the closet. And when thou hast shut the door, it's talking about the door of your heart, your mind, getting in tune with God. Pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. He's, his rewards are greater than any reward man can do. Amen. And he's saying, get into that secret place, that place that, you know, that he, where we're just off with him, off being revealing only to him in that secret place. He said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth all what things you have need of even before you ask him. So this sermon on the mount, <clears throat> this is where <clears throat> Jesus is making a great emphasis to, and there's, a, there's an emphasis that he's trying to put forth that it's not a human approach. It's not just going through some kind of um, rules and regulations. Going, not just going through some motion in, in your life. But he's talking about, he says, almost even it's humanly unattainable. You can't do it on your own. We need him. We need the blood. It's only through the blood. He says, you know, having the boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That's why John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus Christ, he looks up from his preaching. He's, he's in between the Old Testament and the New Covenant that's coming in. This is John the, the Baptist, and he's, he's there to preach the coming of the Messiah. He said, I'm the forerunner. I'm the, the one that's introducing uh, the forerunner, and he looks up, he says, doesn't say, hey, the Messiah is coming down the road. 
What's he saying? Behold what? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. The veil's been broken. We can come boldly in. But we have to come in with a true heart. So when we pray, when we give, when we fast, all these things that Jesus really came down hard of them, all these things, when we do them, they are a type of our approach to God, right? Giving is a type of worship to God. It's a powerful thing when you give of your finances and somebody first comes to, that, to the Lord and they give. That sends out volumes about how their spiritual walk is developing because that's how we approach God even through our giving and through our fasting, which is denying this old flesh. And so we fast. He says, not if you fast. He said, when you fast. He didn't say if you give. He said, when you give. Amen. And when you pray. <clears throat> so Jesus is trying them to come to the realization that we are, and Tyler talked about this Wednesday night, about how inadequate we are, that we are just flesh, that we're dust. Amen. And we need God. We can't even help ourselves. So as we approach God through prayer that we're talking about this morning, <clears throat> we need to understand that the heart of the matter is the heart, right? The heart is the issue. What's your motive? Think about it. He said two people can give, two people can pray, two different people can fast. And he says the difference we, as individuals, we wouldn't know the difference, right? Two people bring an offering. We don't know the difference. But to one, it's a source of joy. One's a source of joy to God as they come. The other can be like smoke, he said, in his nostrils. It's a stench to them. He knows something different than what we know. We only see the physical action. But what does God know? The heart. God knows what's in our heart. So as we look into Luke chapter 18, <clears throat> in verse number 1, he spake a parable to this end, that man ought always to pray and not to faint. So here we have another reinforcement that we need to pray. Saying there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me. Make justification for me of my adversary, of my enemy. And in verse 4 it says, He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, and no, I don't regard man, he said, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. I'm going to answer her petition because she just keeps coming. She just keeps coming. At least by her continually coming, she wearies me. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. <clears throat> so here he's using this illustration He's talking about a parable that men ought to always pray and not to faint. He's talking about coming to him in prayer. And he's saying, when you come to me in prayer, he said, I want you to come 
You've fallen, you've made a mistake, keep coming. doesn't mean you just keep repeating the same things over and over again. But it's t- saying if, if, and if you make a mistake, you just get back up. You keep coming to God. He says the unjust judge avenged the person that was making their petition because they just kept coming. They were weary. They were wearying him. But Jesus said, he's unjust. I'm a righteous God. If he did that for somebody that's unrighteous, avenging them, making righteous from their enemy, he said, will not I do this with my own elect, which cry day and night? The enemy is who? The enemy of our soul is who? Satan. He wants to destroy us. And so we keep coming to God. It's just like I said, it's a relentless thing. The devil's going to be relentless. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Amen? And so he's always out there. He's relentless. And God says, just keep coming to me. Keep on coming to me. I'll avenge you from the adversary. I'm going to make it right. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Do you believe that? He's saying, do we believe that we can keep coming with boldness to find that mercy and to continue to find that ever-present help in the time of need? He's saying, keep on coming to me. Don't run. Don't hide. My mercies are everlasting. Verse number 9, that same chapter. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So here's... Another thing that we've got to be careful of is our self-righteousness. Amen? And we despise other people. That becomes a sin all of itself. And listen to this example that he uses. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other was a publican or a tax collector. And these publicans were like traitors. They... Uh, would go with the Roman government and whom Israel was under bondage to. They were uh, controlled by the Roman government. But these people that lived in Israel, these guys would go to the Roman government and they would work for them to collect taxes from their own people. They were considered traitors. And a lot of times they were people that weren't very good. They did a lot of things that were false and wrong. But he says one of them was... Pharisee, and that's supposed to represent the religious sect of that day, right? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. So the Pharisee comes to prayer, right? He's just praying with himself. (laughs) He's not. This was interesting, and it just hit me, I guess. But And he says this. He said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. And they were both praying at the same time. He said, I fast. Listen to this. He said, I fast twice a week. This guy was pretty good, wasn't he? Fast. He said, I give tithes of all that I possess. And just like I said before, we see this in an individual. We say, man, they fast twice a week. They, they're tithing. They must be pretty righteous. Amen. But we find out that this man was a hypocrite. The publican, standing afar off, he would not lift so much his eyes under the heaven. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He was 
he was convicted or so. He said, but he smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his, cell, down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. <clears throat> so when you think that you're righteous, you need to come to an altar, and you need to have a uh, true heart that says, God, where am I at? Hallelujah. Accept this. I don't want to just go through the motions. And that's, you know, that we've heard that parable, and we think about it, but we need to really let that settle into our hearts and our minds. Here this guy was. He was praying, right? He was there praying, fasted twice a week, and gave um, tithes of all of his income. And yet God said he did not go from the altar justified. There was something in his heart. He may even not have been really aware of it because he didn't come with a true heart. Amen. He just wanted to accuse another individual. We have to be very careful on judging others. Amen. For some reason we think that elevates our spirituality when somebody else falters or makes a mistake. Or that we want to find fault in others to make... Give us a little bit of sense of satisfaction in our own failures. Amen. I can remember when this was years ago when I was working at the post office. But I was testifying to a guy. He came up to me one day and he said, do you think God grades on the curve? (laughs) Remember in school, I don't know if they still do this or not. But they would grade on the curve. That meant the highest one got a 60. Then that would be an A and then it would go back from there. He wanted to know if God graded on a curve. And, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, no, God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't say, well, you did pretty good, or you did a little bit better than so-and-so. That's not how God grades. God has a set, a standard that he's put out, and that's what he's telling these guys in his chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's saying, listen, you've got this system. You think you're doing pretty good, but I've got a standard. That's way above what you're saying, what you're trying to do, just going through the motions. But he says, I've got something better for you. Hallelujah. The pure heart, we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that should be all of our desire, right? We want to see God. But the pure heart is the cleansed heart. It means cleansed. And the cleansed heart is what God can do for you if you come to him. With a true heart. Does that make sense? When we come to God in honesty, not trying to hide something, because you can't hide anything from God. He's saying, come to me with a true heart, and I can make your heart pure. I can cleanse you. Oh, hallelujah. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, hallelujah, from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves. There's that word of deception again, right? And that's the worst place you can be is where you're deceiving yourself. You've got to snap out of it. It's high time that we awake out of sleep. We've got to shake ourselves. Amen? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not it. Verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Cleanse us. Give us that pure heart. Hallelujah. He can do it. It's a, it's a total process, though. Psalms chapter 19, verse 12 through 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. We can't even really understand all the faults that we have. In our best attempt, we fall woefully short of what God is desiring for us to do. But he's not, he's not saying that there's no hope for you. He's saying, I am your only hope. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover up things. Come to me with a true, undisclosed heart that just says, here I am, Lord. I need you. I, you know where I'm at. And you have to come with a desire to be changed. Hallelujah. And he says, I'll clean you up. I can do it. Hallelujah. He says, I can go exceedingly, abundantly, way beyond what you think. You think within yourself, oh, there's no hope for me in this situation. I want you to know he can do way above what we're able to ask or think but it's according to what the power that works within us <clears throat> he said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 7 he went on to say and I read this but he said but when you pray use not vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking be not ye therefore like unto them for your heavenly father knoweth the things that you have need of before you ask them he says, don't be like the heathen, <clears throat> not just like the Pharisees, the religious people, but he says, don't be like the worldly people. They only greet. He said, if you greet your brother only, what do you more than, do than others? Do not even the heathen? He said, be therefore perfect as your father who's in heaven is perfect. In other words, he's just saying, you know, we have to be committed, hallelujah, to better standards than what the religious sector says and what the worldly sector says. He says, don't do that. Don't be like the world just because you think that it's too hard to live for me. He's saying it's not. It's easy. But the hard part is, is coming with a true heart, giving ourselves over to him. He even goes on in Matthew 6 talking about just the everyday things of life. Take no thought, saying, what shall you eat? What shall you drink? Wherewith shall be clothed? He says, for all these things that the Gentiles or the heathens seek after, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But what does he say to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, we're seeking for you. We want your righteousness in our lives. Amen. His righteousness and everything else is going to fall into place. Hallelujah. He's saying, I'm offering you this standard of that's far exceeds any man-made standard that's in the church or in the world. I'm offering you this great standard, amen? He said, I've come to give you life and to give that life more abundantly. Hallelujah. He wants to give us an abundant life. We think we know the right way and the right direction that our life would be great. But the best thing we can do is to turn it over to Jesus. Come with a true heart, hallelujah, and say, God, this is who I am. 
this is me, this is where I'm at. And God revealing anything to me that I need to know that's not right in my life. Hallelujah. And he says, come to me. I'm the God of the universe. I can do it. I want to do it. Hallelujah. Psalms chapter 139, verse 1 through 6. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God's already searched us. He already knows us. All he's waiting for us to do is kind of be honest with ourselves. You know my down-sitting, my uprising. You're acquainted with my thoughts that are afar off. You can pass my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't even comprehend it. I can't attain unto it. The power of God. Amen. But he is everywhere. He knows all things. And he says, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find people that will come to me with a true heart? That will just relinquish themselves over to me? He said, if they only would, then they could understand how great that God can be in their lives. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand this morning. So I leave you with this. In your prayer time, I just ask you to ask yourself and ask God, what's my motive, Lord? What's my motive in prayer? Amen. And as the altar call is made this morning, at the end of our service this morning, I encourage you to come before God.